guys. Luke chapter one. Luke, the beloved physician who was a traveling partner of the Apostle Paul, wrote a gospel. There are four gospels in your New Testament. They are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Each of the gospel writers give a different angle to the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. The word gospel comes into our English language from the word Godspell. It literally means the good news. So when you hear gospel, that's what it means. It's the good news. And the good news is about a person. His name is Jesus. Each gospel writer gives you a, diff a little different angle into the life of Jesus. Matthew writes from a Jewish perspective. And he often does something like this. This happened that that which was written may be fulfilled. And then he'll quote an Old Testament scripture that's fulfilled in the life and ministry of Jesus. He establishes Jesus' royal right to the throne. Two gospel writers give us what we call birth narratives. That simply means the birth stories. Matthew and Luke do that. Matthew gets right to the point. Matthew's where we get the story of the Magi and the story of Herod being approached by them and the story of the dark side of Christmas, how Herod took out his wrath on the baby boys two years and younger in Bethlehem. And Rachel was weeping from Jeremiah 31 and she could find no comfort. Uh, the Gospel of Mark is a rapid moving gospel. It opens with the actual uh, ministry of Jesus Christ as he's already grown up. He started his public ministry at about the age of 30. And so he ministered on the earth publicly from about 30 to 33. Uh, if you count the number of Passovers that have been counted in theological books, they count, uh, I think it's either three or four Passovers. So you've got Jesus about, with about a three and a half year public ministry. And in those three and a half years, Jesus changed the entire world. He's dated the calendar of the world. The world will never be the same because Jesus came on the horizon. There's a, another gospel writer that gives us a little different angle, and his name is John. John will go back before the manger, but before we look at John, I'm gonna share something that Luke did as he opened his gospel, Luke 1, verse 1. He says, inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile an account of the things accomplished among us, Luke 1, 2. Just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants of the word have handed them down to us. It seemed fitting to me as well, says Dr. Luke, having investigated everything carefully. Luke has been lauded as a meticulous historian. By his own admission, he had investigated Luke 1, 3, everything carefully Many believe he probably interviewed Mary, the mother of Jesus, to get details. By the way, this does not uh, put aside the nature of Scripture, which is inspired by the Holy Spirit, but there is a human element to the Scriptures. God did not take away the personality of the biblical writers. Luke was a meticulous historian. His Greek, by the way, the Bible originally is written in what's called Koine Greek, which is common Greek. They say Luke's handle of the Greek language is some of the highest vocabulary that we have in all the New Testament. Although Luke never really uses his name when he writes uh, his letters. He says he investigated everything carefully from the beginning to write it out for you in consecutive order. Notice Luke 1.3, most excellent Theophilus. 
If you just park there on the name Theophilus, it's two Greek words. Theos is the name of God. And, you know, it's the idea of when we say theology, we're talking about the study of God. That's what theology is. If you go to school and study theology, it's the study of God. And philos is, where, is from the Greek word phileo. You take Theophilus' name, and it means lover of God, or you could flip it around and say loved by God. And so scholars believe that Theophilus may have been a real person who funded the writing of this gospel in the sense that he provided the materials, which would have been very expensive at that time. He may have been a real person, or some believe that Theophilus just represents anybody who is a lover of God or anybody who wants to experience the love of God. Luke says, I did this so that you might know, verse four, Luke one, the exact truth about the things that you have been taught. In the days of Herod, verse five, king of Judea, there was a certain priest named Zacharias. I want you to notice that when the Bible sets the stage for two miracle births that are going to occur, it doesn't say once upon a time, this is what happened. It says in the days of Herod. Herod became the king of the area of Judea. He was appointed by the Roman Senate and uh, he was actually someone who came from the area of Edom. So he wasn't really a Jew in that sense. But it was in those days, and we know what the dating of those days are, where Herod was uh, called the king of the Jews. If you flip over to Luke 2, look at verse 1. It came about in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus. Now, you are all familiar, I think, if you've done any study on the history of Rome, and it's hard not to run into Rome if you do any kind of history study. There were Caesars. There were multiple Caesars that ruled at, during the heyday of the Roman Empire. And the Caesars were the kings. And this particular Caesar was named Caesar Augustus. So you have Herod, the king of the Jews. You have Caesar Augustus, who initiated a census to be taken of all the inhabited earth because Rome had really dominated the world. And you have the, the reference of a governor, Quirinius, who was the governor of Syria. It would appear that he was the governor of Syria two different times. He served two different terms. Just want you to understand that when you come into a church service and you may not have been to church for a while or you know, maybe you're new to the Bible, the Bible does not ask you to check your brain at the door. The Bible is historical and the birth accounts of Jesus Christ, John the Baptist and Jesus Christ, are set in history. They are embedded in history. You have rulers of the time that can be confirmed in secular sources outside the Bible that tell us that Caesar Augustus was a ruler at this time. Herod was a ruler at this time. Quirinius was the governor of Syria at this time. And so you're able to look back at a man, Luke, who investigated all of this carefully. When Luke gives the uh, incredible story of the birth of Jesus, if you flip over to Luke 2 in verse uh, 6, he says, it came about that while they were there, the days were completed. They had come back to the area of Bethlehem for the census. The days were completed for her, Mary, to give birth. She gave birth to her firstborn son, Luke 2, 7. She wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. There's been a lot of conjecture about the birthday of Jesus and a lot of different opinions about where you land on that. 
It may be because Bethlehem's about five to six miles south of Jerusalem that the, the reason there was no room in the inn was because it was a major feast for Israel. We don't know for sure. But there were three times a year when the book of Leviticus said all able-bodied males were to travel from any land in which they had uh, parked or set up their home to Jerusalem for the major feast of Israel. And they were Passover in the spring, Pentecost, and Tabernacles. And it seems like people pretty much traveled. Uh, seems like it came down just to the Passover, but either way, it may be that they also traveled there for Tabernacles, which is in the fall. And some believe that the reason that there was no room in the inn, and they even questioned whether there would be a commercial inn in a small village like Bethlehem, was because there were many people that were there for a major holiday. Some believe it could have been Tabernacles, which happened in the fall. It, it's conjecture, we don't know for sure, but in that same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields keeping watch over their flock by night. That's what shepherds did. And it interests me that the good shepherd, Jesus Christ, he paints himself as a shepherd of the sheep. He, he sent his uh, angel to appear to shepherds. They could relate to his heart. Uh, this morning, we did a message called, uh, from Luke 15, that he will leave the 99. Shane just... Uh, shared the song, and Jesus said, which one of you, if he has one straying sheep, won't leave the 99 in the open pasture and pursue the one? And when he finds the one, will he not come back with the little sheep on his shoulders rejoicing? And he says, it's the same way in heaven when one person comes to repentance. There is joy in heaven. Heaven makes merry. Heaven celebrates when one wayward sheep comes home. Jesus came on a rescue mission. And the annunciation of his arrival came to shepherds because Jesus is the good shepherd and he cares about his sheep. And all we like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord laid on him, on Jesus, the iniquity of us all. When Jesus died on the cross, when he grew to be that man, when he died on the cross, God was laying upon Jesus all of the wrongs that we had done. Jesus was completely innocent. I had the chance on the golf course just a few days back to share the gospel with a man who really had no church background. His name was Bob. We had played a round of golf together. I really liked him because he's a Pittsburgh Steeler fan. He had a shirt on. Anyway, don't hold that against me if you're not a Steeler fan. But uh, we, we, we joked a little bit about the team and we talked a little bit and I kind of asked him some questions and he goes, yeah, my brother's been trying to share some stuff with me about that. And finally on the 17th hole, I knew we were running out of holes. <laughs> and so I said, Bob, can I just share the gospel with you? And he goes, yeah. And I just told him the simple truth that we've sinned against God. We've all fallen short. All, all of us are like straying sheep. And God came into this world and a little baby born on a Bethlehem night to save us. And I said, Bob, when, when Jesus died on the cross, God the Father was treating God the Son as though he were guilty of all of our sins, though he was completely innocent. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And I described to Bob how Jesus died on the cross for our sins and rose from the dead. I said, this is the simple good news of the gospel. And he listened. Amen. But I don't know what he did with it. But I did leave him with this. He's a little older guy. And I said, Bob, 
there's a sense of urgency about what you do with what I just told you. And he, and he looked at me and he said, I know I'm getting older. <laughs> you know, we, don't, we just don't know how much time we've got. And we, we have a message of life. Well, the angel who appeared to these frightened shepherds said to them, don't be afraid. Easy for him to say, right? <laughs> for behold, verse 10, Luke 2, I bring you good news of great joy which shall be for all the people. For today, in the city of David, that's Bethlehem, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. I've got good news to share, said the angel. He set the tone for all gospel preaching until the Lord comes back. I've got some good news to share. And we should be doing that as much as possible, just you don't have to witness to every single person you see, but look, you have good news to share. It's good news of great joy. It's for everybody. It's for all people for all time. On that day in the city of David, a savior had been born. His name is Jesus. Now, if you turn over to the gospel of John, John 1. John, one of four gospel writers, takes us back before the manger. And he says these famous words, in the beginning, probably in allusion to Genesis 1-1, was the word, the word, John 1-1, was with God and the word was God. He, this word, was in the beginning with God. All things came into being by him and apart from him. Nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life and the life was the light of men. That word, verse 14, John 1, became flesh and dwelt among us. John is an eyewitness of Jesus' ministry. And we beheld his glory, glory of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus existed before that Bethlehem night you could render John 1, before the beginning began was the word. And if you are there before the beginning began, that means you are the beginner. Everybody with me? You say, Pastor Michael, I had too many cookies. Come on, man. Think about it. If you're there before the beginning began, then you must be eternal. And the verses go on to say, that this one, this word who became flesh, made everything. He made the stars, the moon, the sun, the angels, people, insects, animals. Nothing would exist without him. And that one who made everything became a baby. And he wasn't born in the Holy of Holies in Jerusalem. That's what we might expect. And, and the, the most holy place we might expect, that's where God would carefully place, you know, the Son of God. But no, he was born in a manger, in a stable, in a nowhere town to people who were not known. And we never would have known their names had this not happened. He was born in a place that really represents the house of bread, 
Bethlehem, two Hebrew words, which means house of bread. He is the bread of life. A few chapters later, fast forward to his earthly ministry. He's engaged, encountering, speaking with a man named Nicodemus. Nicodemus comes to him at night and says, we know you must be from God. No one can do the things you do unless God is with him. And Jesus said to Nicodemus, probably the teacher of Israel, I tell you, you must be born again. If you're not born again, you will not see the kingdom of heaven. Nicodemus had a question. I think it's a good question. How can a man be born again when he's old? Can he go back into his mommy's womb and be born? I'm an old dude, Jesus. You see who I am? And Jesus is saying, I'm not talking about physical stuff, Nick. I'm saying you must have an experience where you're born again on the inside. You must be born from above. And then Jesus, and this is what I'm gonna leave you with on this Christmas Eve night, he breaks into was probably the most beloved section of scripture that has ever been shared. Jesus says, God so loved the world, John 3, 16, that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God did not send his son into the world to condemn or to judge the world but that the world should be saved through him. He who believes in Jesus, John 3, 18, is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the judgment, that light has come into the world, but men love darkness rather than light, for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light, does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. Skip all the way down to the end of John 3. He who believes in the Son, this is John 3, 36, has eternal life. He who does not obey the Son shall not see life. But would you notice that the wrath of God abides on him? Now, as we read John 3.36, that may sound a little bit harsh to some of you. What do you mean the wrath of God abides on that person? Here's the deal. This is what I was sharing with Bob on the golf course. We've all sinned and we all fall short of the glory of God. Don't worry, that's not people walking out. That is the praise team, by the way. <laughs> Although I'm used to people walking out, so it wouldn't surprise me. But You might say, well, what does it mean that the wrath of God abides on somebody? Here's what it means. It means that our sin deserves God's wrath. God is a, is a pure and holy judge. God will judge sin. He will. You can take it to the bank. He is holy. But instead of judging me, and I'll make this personal for me, instead of pouring his wrath on me, he poured it on his own son who was innocent. And Jesus took my place. 
there was a, a group of people who came up after first service and somebody shared with me that they were going through some regret over some decisions that they've made in the past couple of years. And, and feeling some, you know, understandable difficulty and shame that goes with mistakes that we make. And I had said in that message, you know, if you're in Christ, this is from 2 Corinthians 5, and if you want to go back and check this, this is verses 17 through 21. If you're in Christ, God, please hear this well, is no longer counting your sins against you. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. Jesus Christ paid for all your sins, not just some, all of them at the cross. But you and I must receive that gift. The good news of the gospel is that we must receive it. So I told Bob at the end of the round, I said, Bob, if I can just share this with you, I'd say, I said, let's say that I decided that I wanted to give you my driver. My driver is a prized possession of mine, by the way. In golf, your driver is what you hit off most of the tee boxes. Hopefully, you hit it straight. It's your big club. And they can be kind of pricey. I said, Bob, what if I said to you, I want to give you my driver as a gift? Oh. <laughs> I said, I'm just kidding. I'm not really going to give you. This is, a, this is an illustration now. I said, that club, that golf club would become yours only if you receive the gift from me. Make sense? Yeah. I want to give it to you. It's my offer to you. But unless you take that club and put it into your golf bag, it's not yours. And it can't do you any good. And you can see how it's been helping out my golf game all day, Bob. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Sometimes it goes wayward. Here's the point. The gospel is free. It's a gift that God offers to all of us, but you must receive it or it's not yours. The gospel of Jesus Christ can only benefit you if you make it your own. And the moment that you make it your own, the Bible says you are saved. This is the, the verse that, I think brings the point home. John 5, 24. Truly I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, John 5, 24, but he's passed out of death into life. That's the simple message of the gospel. God so loved you that he sent his son on a rescue mission. And Jesus did what was necessary, though he did not want to. He recoiled from the cross. He said, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. I don't want to drink it. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And when he entered the world on that Bethlehem night, he knew what his mission was. He knew he was going to live 33 years. That's not a very long life. He knew how he was going to die. And he knew why he was going to die. And you know the why? 
is you. As you sit here tonight, he came for you. I have the privilege from the pulpit to scan faces in a room. And when I look, I see the beauty of who you guys are. You've been made in the image of God. What draws you here is a God who loved you. A God who says, you'll find completeness and wholeness only when you come to know me. If you decide to live your life without me, if you run from me, if you try to do it other ways, you're gonna be empty. But you can have a full life if you come to know your creator. Doesn't it make sense that you wouldn't be complete until you came to know the one who made you? That makes total sense to me. And so I just wanna have you take a moment. We're gonna share in a moment of communion here on this uh, Christmas Eve night. The elements are going to come by. They're gonna represent the pierced body of Jesus Christ, the shed blood that he shed for us on the cross. And they have deep, incredible significance. But they have great meaning if you have received the reality of what the elements represent. So uh, we're going to come down the center aisle. Pastor John, is that why you're pointing at me? So we're gonna start from the back. Don't get up yet. And uh, we'll have the back rows. You can come down the sides and come down the middle and then just grab the elements. I'm just gonna ask you that when you're ready to take them, you just take them on your own. We're going to be playing some music in the background. After we have a time of communion, we have candles that we've given you and we're going to close with Silent Night and we're gonna light the candles carefully <laughs> and uh, enjoy some candlelight as we sing together. But before, oh, we have them in the back too, Pastor John. Okay, we have some elements back there as well. Um, but before we do that, can I, can I just maybe have you look at me and I look at you and just ask you a question? Just one simple question. Do you know the Savior? Is he your Lord and Savior? Have you met him personally? Do you know that you know that you know that you know him? There's nothing more important. And if you know him, the greatest gift of all is he lives inside of you. And he's, he's made you his own. He stamped you with his, his presence. And the greatest present is his presence. Amen? All the physical things are gonna perish. Even that cool driver I was talking about, one day will be rusty and sold at a garage sale. But the one who lives in me says he's gone to prepare a place for me. And he came to save me. And if you've not met him, if you've been playing church and, and you've not entered into that relationship, can I just encourage you? This would be the greatest Christmas of all. I told you about JT and Robert this morning getting into the waters of baptism. They will never forget this Christmas, never and I pray that this will be a Christmas that could mark your calendar so that when Christmas is over and, and the, all the wrapping needs to be thrown away and all those cookies you try to give away to other people, man, it comes, and we, we get ready and then Christmas is over. 
And then we go, some of you do this. Oh, now what? <laughs> I love Christmas. But then it's over. The now what is live that new life in Christ. You might say, well, Pastor Michael, what do I have to do to be saved? You have to believe. You have to place your trust in what God says in his word. You have to believe that Jesus is who he said he was. He's come on a rescue mission to save you and you have to say, yes, I surrender. And if you do, and maybe you've been a wandering sheep and you felt like, man, you're, maybe you are the prodigal. Maybe you've been hurt. Maybe you've been disappointed, whatever it may be. Come home. He'll save you. He'll give you a new heart and a new start. You can leave this place forgiven. You can leave this place with a new purpose. Would you pray with me, Father? Thank you for the precious people that have come out on this Christmas Eve. Thank you for the wonderful gift of Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Thank you that for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, he despised the shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Thank you for what you endured for me, Jesus. Thank you for your patience with us, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that the psalmist said, if you, O oh Lord, kept a record of sin, who could stand? But with you, there's forgiveness. With you, amazing grace. We can say every sin I've ever committed, you have erased. Lord, for that person who may be just a little bit hesitant or maybe right there, but they just haven't made it official, I pray that tonight will be their night. You'll save them and that they'll reach out that hand to the Savior. I pray for all the precious saints that have come to honor you on this Christmas Eve night, that you'll bless their celebrations, bless the coming year, meet their every need, take care of the concerns of their heart, remind them that you will never leave them, nor will you ever forsake them. And Lord, as we uh, have a chance to reflect on our lives at the end of a year, may we look back and see the growth that has happened, even the challenges that you've used to shape our lives so we can look forward to a year of hope and a year of light. I pray your blessing upon each one that's here, and I pray that in Jesus' name.